We're going to be in Colossians, and we're going to kind of work backwards just because I want to. I just think it's, it's neat the way that it, it all played out when I read through it and then went back and saw why all this was written. Um, so we're going to start in Colossians 3.1. I can't do that with the mic. It makes it sound funny. Um, Colossians 3.1 says, since, since then you have been raised with Christ. Think about the, the, uh, the tense here. You have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above where Christ is. So we're looking at when and where, where Christ is. Seated at the right hand of God, set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. For you died, past tense. You get that? For you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. So he's making a case here of how intertwined we are with Christ, right? We're hidden in Christ, he is in us, and we are in him. Verse 5, put to death, therefore... Whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. You used to walk in these ways in the life you once lived, but now you must also rid yourself of all such things as these, anger, rage, malice, slander, filthy language from your lips. Verse 9, do not lie to each other, since you have taken off your old self with its practices and have put on, your new, put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator. Now let's, man, I want to stop here, but I want to come back to it. Let me keep going. Verse 11, here, where? It says here, there is no Gentile Jew. Where is here? If you go back up to verse 1, it's where Christ is, okay? It says here, there is no Gentile or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, slave, or free, but Christ is all and is in all. So here what he's talking about is wherever Christ and you are together, here. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourself with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord has forgave you. And over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of, members of one body, you are called to peace. So... Why did Paul just go through all this? It seems like pretty good instruction, right? It seems pretty basic, right? Well, the first thing, especially a, a lot of people that have, have heard grace preached for a long amount of time and, and the comparisons between law and grace, you kind of perk up sometimes. You start hearing things like you need to do this, you need to do that, and you go, you go whoa, 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 this sounds like law, right? We need to be careful, especially understanding how, how Paul is writing, who he's, who he's writing to, when we, when we begin to discover our identity and who we are, there are going to be some things that we need to do to, to live out this truth that we now have, right? This isn't, this isn't a new law that we have to keep so that we are something. It's because we are something that now we, we need to look like the things that we are. This is an identity thing. So what I've done is I've worked myself backwards. This is, the, this is kind of towards the end of what he's talking about here in three one. So we're going to back up, okay? We're going to back up to 2.16, Colossians 2.16, if you'll back up with me. Bless you. And bless all of you, even if you didn't sneeze. Therefore, do not... Why we only bless people that sneeze? Therefore, verse 16, Colossians 2.16, Therefore, do not let anyone judge you by what you eat or drink or with regard to a religious festival, a new moon celebration or a Sabbath day. These are a shadow of things that were to come. The reality, however, is found in Christ. Let's stop here. <clears throat> Obviously, later on in the chapter, he talks about how we need to live and how we need to look and what we need to do kind of things, right? Why is he saying that? Because look, this is what he's saying here. Look, you don't need to worry about all these things. 
<laughs> Sounds a little contradictory, right? These are a shadow of things to come. The reality, however, is, is in Christ. Do not let anyone who delights in false humility and the worship of angels disqualify you. Such a person also goes into great detail about what they have seen. They are puffed up with idle nation, nations, with idle notions by their unspiritual mind. They have lost connection with the head from whom the whole body, supported and held together by its ligaments, grows as God causes it to grow. Since you died with Christ to the elementary forces, spiritual forces of this world, why, as though you still belong to the world, do you submit to its rules? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. These rules, which have to do with things that are all destined to perish with use, are based on merely human commands and teachings. Such regulations indeed have their appearance of wisdom with their self-imposed worship, their false humility, and their harsh treatment of the body. But listen to this but they lack any value in restraining sensual indulgence. Did you hear that? I'm going to read 23 again. Such regulations indeed have an appearance of wisdom with their self-imposed worship, their false humility, and their harsh treatment of the body, but they lack any value in restraining sensual indulgence. So they have an appearance of wisdom. If we, if we put on an outward constraint that says we don't need to do these things so that we can be something that we're not, that is the, the greatest form of hypocrisy that there ever was. Does that make sense? If, if, you, if you try to do things that, that make you look like you're better than you are, and in your mind you're trying to work your way into a place, into an identity that is something outside of yourself, you are a hypocrite. <laughs> I mean, in all senses of the word, that's the most hypocritical thing you can do. The reality is that you are a new creation in Christ. And this is why he keeps coming back to this. Everything he prefaces in here is talking about you were found in Christ and Christ is found in you. Uh, verse 17 He's talking about the laws. These were shadows, but the reality, however, is found in Christ. He keeps pointing back to Christ. Listen, the, the law is black and white, and we talk about this all the time. If you want the most logical solution, you need to go to law. It's logical in, in many ways, but it will crush you and it will crush everyone around you. You can do it, and it's, it's simple, but it's, it's, the end of it will be death for everyone involved. The problem with law is you have to take Christ out of it. If you, take, if, you, if you just live by law, you have to take Christ out of it. Why? Because Christ is God, and God is what? Love. Love is reckless. <laughs> love messes you up. Real love, unconditional love, puts you in a position that is illogical by nature. In, 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 no matter how you slice it, love is not the most logical thing you can come up with. I promise you. Now, we understand that as humans, even in the most basic form of love, but let's look at the form of love that God has, an agape type of love that sacrifices himself for you. Think about that kind of love. That is not the most logical thing, and it is not black and white. Um, I get into discussions with lots of different people about lots of different things, and somehow they end up in my sermons, and they probably shouldn't. But it's always fresh in my mind because it's good topics that people bring up. And they'll ask me questions about issues within the church or within society, and they'll throw them at me during the week, and I'm like, oh. Sometimes they're good and sometimes they're frustrating and sometimes they're humorous. Um, but there's always this, this idea, well, what, what would you do in this situation? And 99% in, in of those, I'll come back with a, a law-based answer like, well, you know, stone somebody to death or something. Well, just to mess with people, really. Like, well, what, what do you want from me? <laughs> you know, you're giving me a hypothetical that I cannot possibly quantify because I don't know the person that you're asking me about. And so, uh, so most recently... And, we, we'll probably need to edit this for the safety of everyone involved uh, later on the podcast. Someone asked me, they said, if you found out that, uh, I have to share this with you because this is life. Um, if you found out that one of your members was uh, a stripper, what would you do? 
And, and that my response was, well, I'd stone him to death, of course. <laughs> and I was just messing with him. I mean, I just wanted to see what he'd say. And he was like, well, I think the local authorities would frown upon that. And I was like, well, what do you want from me? <laughs> you know, what do you want me to say? And I said, uh, I said, well, I don't know this person. I can't give you an, an answer. And so he began to give me scripture talking about, well, we need to take him aside privately and then do this and then kick him out of the church. And to me, that was completely out of context from what he was asking me. And I, I wasn't going to get into that. I wasn't going to. I wasn't going to go where he wanted me to go with that argument. What I did say is, I don't, I don't really know this person that you're talking about. And he said, it doesn't matter. I said, it very much matters. It matters the most. And I said, uh, and, he, and he jokingly said, well, do you want an introduction? And I was like, no, that's not what I'm talking about. I said, I can't make a, any kind of value because he wants black and white, right? The problem is God is, is the God of, of black and white, but he's also the God of the gray areas too. And I'm not saying that we're easy on sin. Christ was crucified for sin. I'm not talking about gray areas. I'm talking about gray areas within the context of love that governs everything that we do. Because I don't know that this other person in the congregation is lying on this person and saying she's a stripper because she's jealous. You know what I mean? Or I don't know. All these hypotheticals. I don't know if, if, if she's in a bad situation that we need to help in some way. What's our, what's our end goal? To put her out of the church or to actually help her, right? So our end goal, we need to know, we need to have a relationship with whatever this person is. And like I said, too many too many to think about. Like, it would make my head explode. I don't know her. I don't know what's going on with her. In the same way, you, you guys know people that I don't know in context that I can't fathom because you have relationships with people that I don't have relationships with. This is when he comes back to look. There are types and shadows, which was the law. The law tried to, tried to do things that it couldn't do. It's good. The law is good, just, and holy. It just didn't have the power to make us good, just, and holy. It wanted to, but it couldn't do it. Jesus could. So if we want to go by the law, then, then we can, but we'll be crushed under it. <laughs> I mean, there's no way around it. If you want to go by the law, it's simple. It's cut and dry, and it will destroy every relationship around you. Hands down, it will. Why is that so important? Because I believe that the, the very greatest call for the Christian and the, very, the, the, the goal and the solution for everything in our, in our Christian walk is relationship. It's, it's, it's why I believe I was crippled growing up, not going to church and thinking that heaven when I die is the goal for the Christian, and it's not. And that may be common to many of you that have been here. If you haven't been and you're just visiting, that may sound pretty radical, but heaven is not the goal for the Christian. A restored relationship with the Father is the goal for the Christian, and Jesus accomplished that. And now we have a restored relationship with the Father, right? Listen, if we keep, if, if we keep putting heaven, heaven far away, we'll never make any difference in anyone's life here on earth. And then, like I said, why not baptism, baptize a little bit longer and just send us on our way? I mean, it seems, if we want to talk about logic, if heaven's the goal when we die, then let's just go on there. What are we doing here? We're wasting our time. Or if, I don't know how far I want to go down this road. I'm getting off topic. <laughs> don't get me started. If we, okay, okay, I'll go. Let's go there. If we, if we, if we think that the world's going to hell in a handbasket and we want to hide in a corner then why did Jesus come and die for us? Amen. Why are we here? You know, we talk about the whys all the time. Why do we show up to church? Why even do any of this? If, if, if there's no hope, if, if we're just going to rearrange, I heard another pastor say this, so I'm going to steal it from him. Uh, if we're just going to rearrange chairs while the Titanic goes down, what difference does it make? It's, it's going to sink anyway. That's the logic that goes behind, oh, well, the world's just going to hell in a handbasket. We're just going to try to make do with what we have and make it okay until it does. It doesn't make any sense. Listen, Jesus came so that we could have 
Him with us all the time. I, I say it all the time. We are walking, talking temples of God, moving around, mobile. If, if the enemy knew what he was doing, he would have never crucified Christ. He only had one Christ to deal with. Now he's got all of us. He's got all these Holy Spirits roaming around, messing, messing up his, his plans, bursting with kingdom everywhere they go. It's, it's, he was dumb. He shouldn't have done it. And so, so now, if we, get, if we get that idea that heaven's not far away, but it's actually in our heart because wherever Christ is, the kingdom is, right? Now, yeah, we'll see it in its fullness when we die. I'm cool with that. But I'll be out of control at that point, right? I'll be in, from what I understand, I'll be in God's hands. We'll be together forever. So what I am in control of is now, right? What you're in control of is now. We have decisions that we can make, and we can act out on these decisions. This is what Colossians is talking about as Paul is writing to him. Look, this isn't just far away. This is Christ in you now, the hope of glory in you now. The same spirit that raised Christ Jesus from the dead is in you now. And he's saying, listen, this isn't just some far off time, and this isn't just keeping the law. This is life that we live, and we live it freely amongst other people. Now, we're not bound. He's saying we're not bound to man's traditions, right? We're not bound to um, a certain way that we do things, but, and I'm getting a little ahead of myself here. Let me back up. Verse 20, and I'm going to get to this. I know I always do this. Verse 20, since you died, Colossians 2.20, since you died with Christ to the element, elemental spiritual forces of this world, why as though you still belong in the world, do you submit to its rules? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. These rules which have to do with things that are destined to perish with use. Stop here. When you live an eternal lifestyle, knowing that the kingdom lives in your heart, the things that you do are eternal, Right? We don't invest in things that are temporal anymore. Our, your whole perspective changes, right? If we see that we are eternal beings now, which is the greatest miracle there ever was, ever was when you were born again, you were born as an eternal being now. That started when you got saved. You are now eternally with Christ all the time. So at that point, you're not dealing with things that perish anymore. You don't perish with use. You get to live on. We get a new body, but our spirit stays the same. It never says we get a new spirit, Right? We get a new body, which is cool, because I already need one. <laughs> so we don't, we don't focus on things that perish with use that are based on merely human commands and teaching. Such regulations indeed have an appearance of wisdom, but their self-imposed worship, their false humility, and their harsh treatment of the body, but they lack any value in restraining sensual indulgence. Okay, we're going to back up again. Colossians 2.6. I know it's weird going in reverse, but I like it because the, the best news is at the beginning, and that's why I think he started with it. Verse 6, Colossians 2, 6 says, So then, just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live your lives in Him. I know. Rooted and built up in Him. <laughs> strengthened in the faith as you were taught and overflowing with thankfulness. See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition and the elemental spiritual forces of this world rather than on Christ. For in Christ all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form, and in Christ you have been brought to fullness. He is the head over every power and authority. In him you were also circumcised with a circumcision not performed by human hands. Your whole self ruled by the flesh was put off when you were circumcised by Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were, listen to this, in which you were also raised in him through your faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead. When you were dead in your sins and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins, having canceled the charge of legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us. 
He has taken it away, nailing it to the cross, and having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. Now let's go back to Colossians 3.9. This is where I want to go. And I know we talked about it at the beginning, but hopefully all that will bring it back to light. We're going to talk about who, where, why, and when. This is more organized than I normally am, so you should be proud of me. Thank you. Surprised him. <laughs> I'll take that. Pleasantly Thank you, Bill. <laughs> Don't breathe laugh into the mic. It's very loud. Who? Verse 9. We're going to start in verse 9. Colossians 3, 9. Do not lie to each other. Why does he separate this from the other ones? The other ones he talked about, malice, greed, all this stuff. But listen, he separates this one. Why? Because it's relational. Do not lie to each other. This isn't a law. This is saying don't be stupid. Don't lie to each other. Since you have taken, you have, past tense, taken off your old self with its practices and have, present tense, put on the new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge of the image of its creator. So why don't we lie to each other? Is it because we're in danger of going to hell? That's not what he said. But that's what I'd been, I'd been taught before. Don't do these things so that you don't burn in hell, basically. The only, the only tools that I saw growing up in keeping me in right living was fear of condemnation. Those were the only tools that were offered me, and they work temporarily, but they don't work when, when the, the threat is lifted, right? When nobody's around, when, when, I'm, doing, when I'm dealing with something that is, is a heart issue, not a constraint, right? He's saying this because it's not so that you don't go to hell, it's because it's not who you are. Your mind is being renewed in the image of its creator. Listen to what he's saying here. Verse 9, do not lie to each other since you have taken off your old self and its practices and have put on your new self. Brand new. He doesn't have to take her out. She can scream in here. Which is being renewed in the knowledge in the image of its creator. So listen, the reason you don't lie is because you're not a liar. Duh. Right? This is a result of who you are, not a way to work yourself up to it. And it, this seems common knowledge, but we can, we can certainly get this reversed. And many of us have gotten it reversed and have it taught to us in reverse. Don't lie or you're going to go to hell, right? We can take it at, at, as a moral teaching or we can take it as the reality of what's going on in our hearts. And to me, this is what he's saying pretty clearly. This isn't who you are. Don't lie because you're not a liar. So that's who. Let's look at where. Verse 11. Here, there is no Gentile or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Slave free, but Christ is all and is in all. Where is our destination? Christ, he is in, he's in us, and where he is, heaven is also. He is in you all the time. And so if we look at where, it says here there is no Jew or Gentile. Here, we don't look at people by their nationality, by their backgrounds, by their history, by even their behavior. We don't judge people that way. We judge people by the way that Christ looks at them. Do you see the difference? Why? Because Christ lives in us. Right? So we look, at, we look at people the way that Christ sees people, and that's not always black and white. Look at how Christ saw people. Christ, when, when Jesus knew that he, that he had all authority in, in heaven and on earth, what was the first thing he did? He knelt down and he washed his disciples' feet. Listen, that's not logical. When you have authority and power, you begin to exercise that power and authority in a way that is self-fulfilling. Self Thank you. 
That's not what Christ did. Counterintuitive to our culture and what we would think. We, we look at Christ and Christ does things radical that are outside of black and white and outside of the things that we think he should have, or we think a king should ride on a white horse. And, and in, in the, the physical realm, we think he should be a geopolitical leader and come and, you know, destroy Rome and, and make the Jews the big, the big guys again and God's chosen people. But he says, no, I know your real enemy. It's sin, death, and hell, and I'm going to defeat those guys. It's not going to look like you think. I'm going to ride in on a donkey. Ha ha. I tricked you. <laughs> My white horse looks different than you thought. And I'm going to do things in a different way that's actually defeating your real enemies, which was sin, death, and hell. So when we look at things that way, there's a parallel. There's a spiritual parallel going on. And one of the words, the word that I got um, this week was, was to not deny that some of the physical ailments that I was dealing with was a spiritual attack. And as a pastor, that should have been the first thing I went to, but it wasn't because I'm also a husband and a father and an employee and a pastor and all these different things that I think I've got to figure everything out and fix everything. And, I, and, and I, I'm usually focused on trying to make sure everyone else, and I'm not trying to make it sound like I'm super spiritual, but just in my head, I want to make sure everybody's okay. And it's my desire to make sure everything is okay and, and my family's okay and everything's okay. And so when something happens to me, I just, for some reason, I just default to, okay, well, it's just something going on. And then I went down this rabbit hole of all these ailments and going to the doctor and dealing with all these things and, and don't search anything on the internet. My God. <laughs> My goodness. It is pretty depressing. So <laughs> that's a side note. Um, but we have to realize that we, st- we still do battle things in our minds. Yeah. I, I hadn't... I'm no less saved because I got into a little bit of a funk thinking that I was going to die for a couple weeks, right? I was no less righteous in those moments. I was no less in danger of hellfire. But I was certainly distracted from my purpose and what I'm supposed to be doing. And I was certainly distracted of my sonship, of understanding who I really was. In the same way, I need to understand where I am all the time. And here, this is the reality that I live in all the time. And so a simple, a simple check in my spirit of someone just encouraging me, going, okay, you're right, this is where I need to be. I mean, it was, it was that quick. And then the next few days were like, great. Because now I'm focused on the reality that I live in now and not just the, the, temporary reality, the temporary reality that does pass away, that does perish, right? Now I'm focused on something that's better and bigger and more important. Okay, enough about me. So I want me to talk about me. All right. Okay, so that's where. He's with us now, present tense. Why? Verse 12, therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourself with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Trace, can you tell me my water real quick? I'm getting parched. Or your water. That's even better. It's full. Thank you, honey. You gave me your water. Verse 13. Bear with each other and forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. So why, why do we do the things that we do? It's right there. It's because of relationship, and it's bound by love. We can talk about when and where, but if, it, if, if we just talk about those things without the why, then I think we really miss what we do and why we do it. Well, obviously why we do it, because that's the why. We have to look at the end goal of everything that we do. Even going back to the, the conversation I had, kind of text conversation I had with my buddy, what's, what's the end goal, what's the purpose of, of, of seeing someone struggling, whether they're struggling with a sin or struggling with 
whatever's going on, what is our end goal? Is our end goal um, to, to put them out or put them away, or is, it, or is it restoration? And the end goal should always be restoration because that was Christ's end goal, and he did it. And if he can do it in me, <laughs> then he can do it in other people. If he can do it in you, he can do it in other people. If God's heart is restoration, our heart should be restoration. Above, above any man-made law or tradition that we have, Christ has circumcised our hearts. He has placed his law in our hearts so now that, that we are living, breathing temples that share the gospel, the good news with people. Not just what we think is right and wrong, but the heart of, of how God sees them and who they are because they were created in his image just like you. Even that jerk that you work with. <laughs> Even that family member that frustrates you all the time. Especially those. Because Jesus said, and this is what messes people up. Jesus said, love your enemies and pray for those that persecute you. That sounds cool, right? But let's, let's put it into reality. Sometimes that stuff gets to you. Sometimes those people get to you. And you begin to, to point at them as your enemy, and they're not your enemy. I say this all the time. People are not your enemy. When we begin to mature spiritually, we begin to see that people are dealing with things, and when they lash out at us and, and we respond and we get frustrated with them, the more that we begin to understand who we are in Christ, the more we can see that reality of what's going on in their life, and it's not just about what what's going on outward, but there's something going on inside them that we may be able to speak to, and you may be put in a position so that you can help those people. And if you start praying, Lord, get me out of this work environment or get me out of this, um, this friendship because I can't deal with this person or, or get me out of this situation, you may be trying to pray yourself out of a position that God's put you in so that you can help them. You've got to be careful with that. You may be the only one that can reach that person, and, and you're going to get all upset because they said something offensive. They might not even know they said node. They might not even know that know that they said something. They may not even know it. They may not know they said that. <laughs> they might have corrected your grammar. Don't be offended. <laughs> grandma, not your grandma, your grandma. Her too. All right. Why do we need? <laughs> Why do we need to know who we are, where we are, why we are, all those things? Because whether you like it or not, you're your brother's keeper. I don't want to go all the way back to Cain and Abel, but listen, we are our brother's keeper. You, I don't know how far we go down this road. But in the same way, the, the, most of you guys know the prodigal son, so I can tell the whole story. But same way the older brother was frustrated with the younger one that went off and messed up and came back. And, and the father was like, hey. He invited him too. He's like, hey, come to, port come to the party. Your brother's back. It's going to be really fun, man. We're, we're going to have a party. <laughs> party. I know she heard party. She was ready to party. We need more members like that. For I need y'all to run up and down the aisle and giggle like that, and this will be a much better place. I'll pause preaching if a few more people would do that. <laughs> yeah. If I say party and y'all start going up and down the aisles, I'll stop preaching. We'll just we'll start partying. We got music, man. I'll get somebody on some music. All right. So, so if the, the, the problem is a lot of us, we, 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 we're okay when we're in that moment when we're the, uh, the quote-unquote prodigal son. That story, like I said, scratch out all your headings in your Bible and put it's all about Jesus. That's, that story should not be called the prodigal son. If anything, it should be called the loving father because uh, we, we can all identify with the prodigal son, but a lot of us don't want to identify with the older brother. 
after salvation, sometimes we get frustrated when somebody else gets in and we're like, well, that's not fair. Look how screwed up their life is, and I've been living for God for years. Um, but the fact of the matter is, everything the father had was for the oldest son, too. He was just trying to earn it, and he didn't even need to. He, the older son was his brother's keeper, and he didn't even take it seriously. We don't look at that side of it either. We just look at the father and the prodigal son. Listen, the older brother should have been just as loving towards his younger brother. That's our mandate. That's what we're supposed to do. We're supposed to be the ones that are reaching out and seeking to save those which are lost, just like the Christ in us, because we're a reflection of who he is. It said right there that we're image bearers of him. The icon, which is where we get our word icon, we are made in God's image, the very character of him. And so when, when we talk about restoration, when you come to the Lord, you in, in, in the spirit are restored to the garden. <laughs> You're restored back to a good, right relationship with the Father. So what does that mean? Now you are an image bearer of, of God himself. You were created in his image. Not just nose, ears, mouth, and that kind of thing. The very character that you express should express the same character of God because that's what you're created to be. Seems logical, right? Don't lie. God's not a liar, right? Tell the truth. Don't go off slandering and, and, and getting angry. There's a reason why we have two eyes and two eyes, listen to me, two ears and one mouth. Listen sometimes and shut up. <laughs> that's a paraphrase of don't be quick to... Be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. I'll just say, shut up and listen. I like that better. Just shut up and listen sometimes. Shut up and listen to the people that are around you. Shut up and listen to the Holy Spirit when he's leading you somewhere. Amen. Shut up and listen sometimes. And write that down. Tweet that. Shut up and listen. All right. These are the notes that I, <laughs> I meant to go to throughout this whole thing, but I'll just go through them all at once. I don't care. Oh, when? I didn't even get to when. All right, we're almost done. When? In Christ, he, he mentioned several times throughout all of this, in Christ, it's present tense, and it's the, re, it's the reality by which we can live out this life of love. Listen, you can't do it on your own. The whole bees thing, the same way you can't defeat all the bees, you can't, you can't fix everybody's problems on your own. I know you think you can, especially guys. I'll speak to you specifically. In your families, um, in relationships, your car sometimes. <laughs> you can't fix everything, and we think we can. Um, whether we admit it or not, we really think we can. There are going to be times that you can't, you can't fix things, and I'll give you, and I've given this before, and this is just one of my revelations from my history. When I grew up, my dad was never around. I'm not going to go through the whole spiel of all that, but my dad was never around, so I always, I grew up working on cars. I like cars, engines, those sort of, just working on stuff. And I remember talking to myself without even thinking about it. I didn't get this until years after I got saved, but when I was a kid and growing up, I would work on things, and and I would talk to myself without even realizing it out loud sometimes when I, would, I, couldn't fix, I couldn't get something. I couldn't get a bolt off or, or you know, I'd back my ratchet into something if you've ever done anything. I'm like, oh, now I'm stuck. Um, and I would get frustrated and I would say, and I would stop and take a breath and I'd go, okay. And it was so weird because this was not revelation to me at the time. It was just me talking for whatever reason. But the Lord brought it to me years later. I would say, come on, son, you can do this. And I was talking to myself, building myself up, seriously. Come on, son, you can do this. And then I would say, no one else is going to do it for you. It's not going to get done if you don't do it. So that was, my, that was my building myself up, strengthening myself. And it worked for a long time. But ultimately what I wanted, and it took me years to discover that when I began to understand my sonship with God and how he sees me as a son, as an heir and a co-heir with Christ, what I, what I really wanted, yeah, I, I wanted to be strong, but at the same time there were times when I wanted a father to be there and for him to say, here, son, let me help you with that. Or here, let me take the wrench from you and do it for you. There are going to be times in your life when you can't do it, and that's okay. 
And you can take a deep breath and say, look, God, I can't do this. I need you to take the wrench from me and fix this because I can't do it on my own. There are, there are going to be those days. It doesn't mean you're weak. It just means you recognize your weakness, and in our weakness, God makes us strong because of his strength. It doesn't mean you're a failure. The kingdom is here and now. So we don't put off heaven and hell until after death. Their realities are affecting people right now. Let me say that again. If we continue to have this false idea that heaven and hell are just after death, then we're not going to see the effects of heaven and hell right now. And I know people that are going through hell right now. And you probably do too. The effects of heaven and hell affect us now because we are creation. And we live in a fallen world. It's the reality we find ourselves in. And if we're going to bring the kingdom to other people, we have to realize that hell affects them just as much as heaven. If we don't bring the heaven to them, they can be going through hell right now. So we don't put off things far away. We embrace them right now. So now when we go through our lives, whether we're going out to eat, whether we're talking to our kids about whatever it is, school, work, when we walk in this reality that we are, wherever you go is now a holy place because you're the temple of God. Wherever you go, now you, you can affect people because the words that you speak are not just your, your words. And the times, listen, this is key. The times that you listen can be like God listening to them. It can be the Holy Spirit soaking up what they're saying and listening to what they're saying and building a relationship with people so when the time comes that they need you, you can be there for them and they can see Christ through you. The only reason I'm standing here today, the only reason I'm standing here today is because I, because I saw the Holy Spirit working through another person. I saw it. It was a reality to me. It wasn't a story. It wasn't a, 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 it wasn't a moral lesson. It was a person's life that I had built a relationship with, and I saw Christ living through them. And, it, and it, it radically changed me in a moment. It took years to understand it. I'm still unraveling all the mysteries of it. But there was, a, there was a, a walking, talking temple of the Holy Spirit, and many of you know the story, walking through that break room that day that changed me forever. So don't take lightly those times when when you speak a truth to someone in just a few words. So our liberty is only governed by love. You are free to do what you want to do. I mean, you are. You're free to do whatever you want to do. Now, what do you want to do? <laughs> now we have to deal with our hearts. What do you want to do? Why do you want to do it? It's for freedom that Christ set us free, and that's a very scary thing to some people because now all the doors are open. Which one are you going to go through? How are you going to make that decision? The key is until you reach a place of freedom, you, never can, you can never discover who you really are and what your real desires are because you are bound by, <laughs> you're bound by your circumstances, you're bound by your education, you're bound by your experiences, you're bound by things that are very natural until you see something supernatural happen, and something supernatural is the only way that we can have real freedom. Amen. And that's not black and white. <laughs> it just ain't. I can say ain't. It just ain't black and white. There's no way around it. Freedom will, will tell you to not eat something because it'll offend somebody instead of 
eating it because you want to prove a point that I'm not under the law. Right? Love will put you in a place, will put you in a bar somewhere to minister to someone when you've been taught, man, if Jesus comes back and you're in a bar, you're going to hell. Right? Like Jesus is intimidated by sin. Come on. Listen. (laughs) How far I want to go down this road. Love will, will put you in a position where you're vulnerable and you can get hurt. Now listen, be careful with this. I don't, I don't want to say put yourself in danger necessarily. There, use your brain. I mean, it's pretty logical here. Don't do stupid things. But, but here's the thing. You are no less a son of God. You, okay, let me, let me try to create a scenario. You can go off and do something stupid. I'm not even going to say what it is. You can go off and do something stupid, whatever, uh, get arrested, be on death row. You are no less a son of God on death row. Do you have consequences? Yeah. There are consequences to your actions. You do something stupid, something bad is probably going to happen. You do something good, something good usually happens. It's pretty logical. But your identity is not tied up in what you do. We have to see that first. The results of who we are should be how we act. The truth about you is what God says about you. The Holy Spirit even says, and the Bible tells us, He's above even our own conscience. So I believe that as good as your conscience can be, it can even mess up. But when you, got, you, when you begin to see who you are in Christ, you begin to adjust your, and just like the Bible tells us, you begin to adjust your activities. You just don't lie because you're not a liar anymore. Listen, there's, I'm not going to debate on drinking or anything like that, but I know that my dad didn't beat my mom when he was sober, Right? I mean, that was something I knew before I got saved. When he was sober, things were better. When he was drunk, things got really bad really quick. I don't drink. I mean, I don't have a problem if, if you drink, whatever. But if, if, if I know the dangers of drinking and I see the results of, of how far that can go, logically, <laughs> I'm not going to do those things, right? I'm not going to get super deep and spiritual here. This is a pretty logical lesson. This is what God's talking about here. Am I... Am I any less a son of God if I go do something stupid? No. But why would I do something outside of my nature if I know that it's going to be bad for me and bad for those that are around me? If it would destroy my ministry, destroy my family, destroy relationships, hurt people, how, how, would, that, how would that benefit me and how would it express who God's created me to me? And I'm not just picking on drinking. That was just something that I experienced when I was younger. Anything. Anything that would, would lead me or could possibly lead me into a direction like that I'm going to avoid because I know in the, in, at, at the end of it all, my goal is to, to have more meaningful and deeper relationships with those people that are around me and show them and demonstrate how good God is. That is, so my behavior is a result of my identity in Christ. This is the last thing, and I'll, I'll stop with this. Our liberty will be directly related to our revelation of our identity in Christ. I'm going to say that again. Our liberty, our freedom, will be directly related to our our revelation of our identity in Christ. Those depending on law or human traditions are immature and are lacking in identity. Outward constraint will, will keep you straight for a little while until the threat's lifted, and then you're going to do what you want. I've tried. I mean, I've done it. I've experienced it. 
outward constraint will, will keep you behaving for a period of time. But when you're away from everyone, when you're, when you're on your own, when, when the lights are out or, or anything like that, and you have to deal with your desires, listen to this. Let me go back. This is Colossians 2.23. Such regulations indeed have an appearance of wisdom, but their self-imposed worship, their false humility, and their harsh treatment of the body, but they lack any value in restraining sensual indulgences. When those sensual indulgences come up, what are you going to do? When you don't have an accountability partner there hooked to your computer, when you find a way around something, what are you going to do when you have to deal with what's going on? This is where we have to come to terms with who we are and the issues that we deal with and give those over to the Lord, and he changes us from the inside out. And we talk about you can scream at a, at a caterpillar all day long. It doesn't turn into a butterfly. <laughs> we, don't put, we don't put timelines on these either. This is what's frustrating to us. My first few years in ministry, I spent most of the time trying not to shake people into the kingdom or punch them in the face. <laughs> Why don't you see it like I see it? You know what I mean? Why don't you see what I see? Why, why are you keep making the same, same mistakes over and over and over again? And I had a very limited perspective of what relationship was and how paramount it was. Years and years later, I realized that sometimes it comes in a moment and the Holy Spirit can change someone radically, and sometimes it comes in five years through ongoing relationship and living and, and loving people and seeing what they're going through and having a heart for people, not just trying to to check off a, a, a list of things we're supposed to do. A life led by love does not need to be constrained by regulations because love, especially the type of love that God gives us, will always lead us in the right direction. Jesus is perfect theology all the time. Amen. And if you're ever in doubt, go back and see how he did it. He, he was the epitome. He was the prototype. He was to show us that God and man could dwell together. And he showed us how... We love and we serve one another in relationship, not just bring down crushing blows to try to destroy people. He built everybody up everywhere he went, and he changed lives everywhere he went, and we should do the same thing. Stand up with me. Father, there's a, there's a radical truth in, in your love, in your agape love, in your unconditional love that says... <clears throat> I'm gonna, I'm gonna live outside of myself, and I'm gonna treat people differently, um, not because it benefits me, and not because it's something that I learned to do, but it's because of who I am and who you've created me to be. It's from the, it's from my identity in you that I live, and live out that life every day of my life. So, Father, as, as we come in contact with the people around us, Lord, we are, we are kind of stuck on this planet for a certain amount of years. And so we have a bit of control about what we do and what we say and how we think and how we see things. So, Father, let our actions be produced in you, or not in you, from you, because you are in us. So, Father, help us see the root, <laughs> the, the, the engrafted vine that we are in you and you are in us, Lord, and you are our source. And so as we draw from you, Lord, I just thank you that, that undeserving, you loved us. And so now we treat people in a way, when they're undeserving, we love them. Lord, and we, we messed up and you forgave us and you gave us grace. And so, Lord, when people mess up, let us, let us give them grace and let us still love them and still draw them nearer to you. So, Father, let us see them how you see us.
And Lord, let us, let us identify any weaknesses that we have and submit them to you, Lord, because you are the only one that can turn them into strengths. Supernaturally, strengthen us. In Jesus' name, amen.